If I asked you, if we were talking, and I asked you, hey, can we get together for lunch on Wednesday? Can we get together? Well, if you're a woman, you might say, oh, well, I don't know. about Aren't you married or whatever? Yeah, okay, so let's not touch on that. But if I hypothetically asked you for lunch on Wednesday, you might say this to me. Let me check my calendar, right? You'd want to check your calendar because you'd want to check the calendar to see if you had any conflicting appointment on the calendar. You wouldn't want to be double booked in that time slot. And so if you were supposed to be somewhere else for lunch on Wednesday, you couldn't meet me for lunch on Wednesday. Your calendar would then tell you when your appointments are. If indeed you keep a calendar. You have a we used to have day timers. Now we've all got smartphones that we have our calendars, right? And I make appointments all the time in my business. That's one of the things I do is make appointments. And thank God for Siri, because all I have to do is press this little button and say, make an appointment for Wednesday at 12 noon. And she says, shall I schedule your appointment? And sure enough, she schedules my appointment and it shows up in my calendar. Now we're going to look further at day four of creation week, day four. Last week in day four, we saw specifically what was happening, that the lights, that God said, let there be lights in the heavens. And we saw that the lights in the heavens were for various purposes. The lights that you see in the heavens, whether it's the sun, the moon, and the stars, and what we refer to as planets, the ancients called them wandering stars, they all are the lights in the heavens. And day four, God let us know what the purposes of all the lights were for. We saw that they were used to mark days and years. And so we see the sun and the moon and their rotations give us those days and counting all the days allows us to count for the years, right? And so we saw that they were used to mark days and years. And then the first thing we saw, because there was a list of those purposes that God was telling us what the purposes of the lights in the heavens were for. And we saw in the very first item on the list was the purpose of the lights in the heavens being for signs, signs of God's plan. Heaven's lights as signs. And that's what we talked about last week. And if you missed that study, you can get on the podcast, go to iTunes or go to the website. You can avail yourself to that. We talked a lot about some fun stuff last week. We talked about constellations and uh, Matsaroth, the, the, the kind of the the movement of the stars across the elliptic. And it was it was a uh, a, a real, a lot of stuff there. We talked about John 12, and we talked about how John, the, the apostle, saw one of these signs in the heavens. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, you saw where he said, and there was a great sign in the heavens. And we saw that it was a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon at her feet, with a garland of 12 stars. And of course, we explained all that and talked about the, the birth of Christ and Jesus Christ coming into the world to seek and save those who were lost. And so we saw that heaven's lights were for signs. But tonight, we're going to look at another purpose. There's another purpose. They were for signs, but they were also, there was another purpose of the lights in the heavens. And so we're going to see that the lights in the heavens were also used as calendar, as calendar, that the lights in the heavens are used as calendar. Heaven's lights as calendar. So let's go ahead and read that text of scripture of day four one more time tonight as we 
continue to expound on these passages. In verse 14 of Genesis 1, it says this, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. And then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light to the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So tonight we're going to take a look at one particular purpose of heaven's lights. And once again, it's this, heaven's lights as calendar. Heaven's lights as calendar. In the record of day four, we have, as we've just read here in verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens. You will remember that we discussed last week and all the way back in our discussion on day one of creation, we discussed the idea that this is perhaps not the creation of the lights in the firmament, but rather the assignment of their purpose. Not necessarily the creation of the lights in the, in the firmament, but the assignment of their purpose. We saw that the light, that there, God said, let there be light on day one, and there was light, and that light was used to separate darkness from light, and that separation was called day and night. So all the way back on day one, we already have day and night. And so really what I see here is heaven's lights are being uh, ascribed a, a, the, the various purposes that they have. And even in the language, if you go back to the Hebrew, there's an idea that this, this is something that's being recorded to us that has been done, that has been done. And of course, we saw that the heavens and the earth were created in verse 1, even before you get to day 1 of creation. So we see that, the, that heaven's lights are are being assigned the purpose for which they will fulfill. We saw that light separated, that light was separated by lights on day one, and the day and night were in existence already. And now we're seeing the lights themselves because we're literally seeing the lights themselves. And remember, we've taken you through a progression that in day one, there was darkness over the face of the earth. In other words, light could not penetrate to the surface of the earth. But God said, let there be light. And that light penetrated the opaque darkness of the covering of the waters that was on the face of the deep. And so it went from this, this opacity, this opaqueness, to a translucent atmosphere. And then we saw here on day four, we're seeing it go from a translucent atmosphere to a transparent atmosphere. So not only can we see the light, the actual light, but we can see the lights. We can see the source of the lights um, as the atmosphere is now transparent. We saw that the lights in the heavens were for light upon the earth. We saw that lights, the lights in the heavens were for counting days and years. And we saw that they were first, in the order there given to us, that they were for signs, signs in the heaven. And lastly, in our context, but secondly, God said, let them be for first signs, and then second, for seasons. 
So let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens and let them be for signs and seasons. So tonight I want to focus on this. Let them be for seasons. Let all the lights in the heavens be for seasons. Not only were these lights put in the heavens for signs, but they were also put there for seasons. Now, when we think of the word seasons, instantaneously, as soon as I said that, you see that up on the screen. If you're anything like me, you see the word, the English word seasons, and you want to, what you think, winter, winter, let me sing a little James Taylor. Winter, spring, summer, or fall, all you got to do is call, and I'll be there. Okay, all right. (laughs) Hey, if you come to South Coast, you're going to get a little singing, you're going to get a little talk about food, various other topics. Um, So anyways, where were we? Seasons, winter, spring, summer, or fall. And so when we read the word in the English translation of the Bible, and it says, let these lights be for signs and seasons, we, we think seasons, yeah, winter, spring, summer, and fall. But I want to direct your attention uh, to the Hebrew word uh, for seasons. The word for seasons there in Genesis 1.14 in the original Hebrew is a word which literally means this, appointed times. So you could say, you could read it this way. Let them be, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens and let them be for signs and, uh, and the appointed times, the appointed times. The word in the Hebrew, and I'll have it up on the screen, is this, moedim, moedim. And anytime you see a word in Hebrew that ends in I-M, that is a plural. So it's kind of a weird, it's a a little bit of a different language. So if you see I-M on the end of the word, that's like, you know, it would be moed, it would be season, moedim, would be seasons. So moedim equals what? Appointed time. So let the sign, let the... The lights in the heavens be for signs, but let them be for seasons. Let them be for the appointed times. The appointed times. Now, what are the appointed times? What are these appointed times? What are we talking about here? Well, you have to go to the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, to find out what the appointed times are. And really what they are, are the feasts of Yahweh God. God gave to the Israelites feasts, feasts to observe. They're his feasts. They're not Israel's feasts. They're not my feasts. They're not your feasts. The Bible specifically says that they're God's feasts, that they're Yahweh's feasts. And we see in Leviticus 23 where God outlines all seven of the feasts. These are the appointed times of worship unto Yahweh. And this is what it says in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 4. You'll see it on the screen. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. So the rest of the chapter goes into detail telling us about the seven feasts of Yahweh. And these are, these seven feasts, these are the appointed times for the worship of God. And really they outline a calendar of the plan of God and what he was going to do, not only in the lives of Israel, but in our lives as well, as he came and was that redeemer and savior for us. And so these feasts, these appointed times, were Israel's calendar and catechism. 
Do you know the word catechism? It's really kind of the learning of the, the scriptures. It's learning the things of God. We think of it as being a kind of a Catholic term. We, uh, I remember when I was uh, growing up, you know, all the Catholic kids would get off early on, was it Tuesday or Wednesday? One of those days, all the Catholic kids would get off early. And all of us, I guess, got off early because of the Catholic kids, because they had to go to catechism. And, but really, catechism, a catechism is just a teaching. It's, it's, a, it's a lesson. And the catechism from the scripture is the, is the thing that God, the things that God wants us to learn. So really, the appointed times, the feasts of Yahweh, were the catechism for the people of God. They would learn what God was going to do. These things were those things that God was going to teach them about who he was, about how they were to worship him, and so on. So you had seven feasts on the calendar throughout the year, seven feasts, and they are God's plan of redemption and reign. Not reign, R-A-I-N, but reign, R-E-I-G-N, the reign of Christ. He's coming back again, folks, to rule and reign uh, upon this earth, to rule the nations. And, but first, before he did that, he came to redeem mankind. He came to redeem the nations, first starting with Israel and then to the Gentile. So then you begin to see the plan of God. But where the plan of God unfolds is through these seven feasts that God gives to Israel these appointed times. Now, the question is, where do you start? Well, a good place to start is at the top of the list, right? You start from the beginning. You don't just pick a place and just, you know, Russian roulette, start in the middle of the chapter. You start at the first one. And where to start? The first one on the list is Passover, the feast of Passover, the appointed time at Passover. Now, Passover uh, really is, is a feast. It's an appointed time, but it also was the 10th plague. It was a plague that was brought upon Egypt as a series of 10 plagues that God used to release from bondage his people that were in bondage in Egypt. And so God used the 10th plague, this Passover, against Egypt to free his people from the Egyptian bondage. And the instructions for Passover are very specific. You remember your Old Testament. You remember your teaching from Exodus. You remember your story as the people were in bondage in Egypt and they were in slavery making the bricks and all the rest of it. And God called Moses to go and to be a leader, to be a deliverer, that he would lead the people out of Egypt back to a place to worship him and calling them out of Egypt. So God brought a series of plagues against Pharaoh and against the people of Egypt. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart after each one of the plagues. And finally, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, for some, they find it that kind of, you know, difficult to understand this idea of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart, but then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The idea is this, that when you are walking kind of away from God, God will bring uh, warnings. He'll bring 
uh, things. He'll bring his word. He'll bring signs. He'll bring messages. He'll bring people with the gospel message to deliver it to you, to proclaim it to you. And every time that you hear it, every time that, you re- that you're uh, confronted with it, is an opportunity to receive the gospel, to receive Christ, to receive God. But what can happen in a person's life is they can continue to push it away and push it away and push it away. And as you push it away, there's a little bit of a hardening of your heart. Push it away, hardening of your heart. And every time you push it away, that hardening of the heart gets a little firmer, a little stiffer. And finally, you get to a place like Pharaoh got to, which was God really, where it says he, he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Really, the idea is he confirmed Pharaoh's heart. He, he, he kind of solidified the condition of Pharaoh's heart that God, that Pharaoh had, had disobeyed God, had not heeded the warning signs. So what did God do? He instituted Passover, the Passover feast, and all the instructions are there in Exodus chapter 12 that are given to the people of God. Exodus 12 uh, have all the specific instructions and the preparations. Now, specifically, we want, we want to go through just a couple of these preparations as it refers to the lights in the heavens and how this all came about in terms of a timely manner in terms of the calendar. So when you go to Exodus 12 and you look at the instructions for Passover... The preparations began on the 10th day of a particular month. It was the 10th day of a month called Nisan. Now, up until that point, and God spoke to Moses, the, the calendar, the year in the, in, the, in the Israeli calendar, the Hebrew calendar, was kind of, it was reversed. It was the, the, the beginning of the year was at a completely different time of year. And God spoke to Moses and said, well, I'm going to have you guys celebrate this Passover. You're going to eat this Passover. And from now on, this month, Nisan, Nisan, not like a Nisan Pathfinder or like a rogue or anything like that. No, the month of Nisan, okay, N-I-S-A-N, the month of Nisan, the Hebrew month. And he says, this month is going to be the first month of the year. And on the 10th day of Nisan, not the first day, not the second day, not the third day, so on and so forth. The tenth day. On the tenth day of Nisan, here's what I want you to do. I want every single family of Israel that's in bondage in Egypt, I want you to take a lamb into your household. And it must be a particular type of lamb. It must be a spotless lamb. Without defect, without spot, must be perfect, a perfect lamb. And I want you to take this lamb into your household on the tenth day of Nisan. It's got to come in to your family. It's got to be part of your family for four days. They brought it in on the 10th. And then on the 14th day, they were given specific instructions about what they were to do. Now, before we get to the 14th day, I want to back up how they would know that it was the 10th day of Nisan. Well, in a lunar calendar, when you're operating on a lunar calendar, the months are determined by the sighting of the new moon. So the moon has its phases, and the moon goes to that point where it goes into like that extreme crescent, right? And then it, 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 it appears to kind of disappear for a couple days, and then there's this then there's this, what they call the sighting of the new moon. So if you look on, go on your astronomy charts. Anybody study astronomy? Yeah, go on your astronomy, astronomy charts, look it up. You can look and find out 
what the sightings, the sightings of the new moon. Now, they've kind of dialed this in and with modern science to, to a greater precision. But in ancient times, they would, the month would start when someone, and they would have watchers that would literally stand guard and watch, and they would watch for the sighting of the new moon. And the, the month would start when those watchers saw they were, were that first sighting of the moon, and that was the beginning of the month. And there was a saying uh, uh, attached to the sighting of the new moon, no man knows the day or the hour. No man knows the day or the hour because it could be, it could be one of two days and it would come at a specific, an undisclosed time and then there would be that sighting and then that would be the beginning of the month. So once the new moon was spotted, that was the beginning of the month. And so here we are at the beginning and we're watching for the beginning of Nissan. The new moon is there and okay, now we're, we're into Nissan. This is the new year and now we're going to count 10 days and we're going to take a spotless lamb, and we're going to bring it in to the family. And every family in Egypt was to do this. Then four days later, they were to take that lamb, and they were given specific instructions. They were to kill it at twilight. They were to kill it at twilight and roast it in the fire and eat it, and eat it in haste. They were also to take some of the blood from that lamb and they were to put it upon the door post, the door frame of their house. And so when the, the Passover, when the, the angel of the Lord, when the angel of Yahweh came over, that, he, that that house would be protected from the destruction that came to Egypt on that particular night. When the angel of the Lord saw the blood, he passed over that particular residence, that particular location. Now, what's interesting is that you see the times to celebrate this appointed time was determined by the lights in the heavens, specifically the moon. Now, you will see that other religions, so to speak, have, have kind of co-opted these signs as well and, in, 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 in my estimation, corrupted them. And so you have worship of the, the, uh, in ancient times, even today, you have worship of the, the lights of the, the heavens, sun, sun worship, moon worship. In fact, you had moon worship um, in, in Mecca, in what has become Saudi Arabia, but it was the, the deserts of Arabia in Mecca. And what happened was a guy named Muhammad came along and he took, he took the moon god uh, that was one of three, a pantheon of 360 other gods. And he said, okay, we're going we're gonna to get rid of all those gods, but we're going to keep this god, this moon god, this Allah. And so then you have the symbol of Islam, really, is this kind of crescent moon and the star and the, and the morning star. And so you have Islam in that sense that has really you know, kind of co-opted um, these signs, but God has given specific signs for uh, specific things for these, these lights in the heavens. So God gave instructions for this appointed time. Let's take a look at the verses just so you can be familiar with them. Exodus 12, verse 3, you'll see it on the screen. It says this, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. 
And then four days later, they were to do a very specific thing with that lamb. Once again, they had the lamb had come into the house. Then on, in Exodus 12, verse 6, skipping down a couple verses, it says this, Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, verse 7, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And so Israel was instructed to keep the Passover feast, and it was according exactly according to these appointed times, and these appointed times were determined by the lights in the heavens, in the lights of the firmament. Now, Jesus. I want to fast forward from Exodus to Jesus. Because Paul, the apostle, in his letters, connects the dots for us. Jesus came into the world. And what did he do? He became our Passover lamb. The same feast that, they, that Israel ate in the desert of Egypt on, on that night, on the 14th day of Nisan, they killed it at twilight. That Passover lamb was a foreshadowing of Christ who would come into the world and be the Passover lamb. Remember, we just read the verses. They were instructed to bring the Passover lamb into the family on what day? Who said it? The 10th? Somebody say the 10th? Good. The 10th of? Nisan. Thank you. You guys are paying attention. You're going to get this. You're going to thank me. You're going to read your Bibles. And things, bells are going to go off. And you're going to go, oh, yeah, that's what you're talking about. There's something about this understanding the actual Bible here. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. The lamb would be brought into the house on the 10th day of Nisan. Now, what happened when Jesus was about to lay down his life for the world. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem and was welcomed and received into the family of Israel on the 10th day of Nisan. The Lamb of God riding in on the back, the foal of a donkey, Riding back, they're waving palm branches. They're singing, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Or, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're worshiping the Lord with palm branches in this whole glorious celebration. What is actually happening is Jesus, who is the Passover lamb, was coming into the household, being received into the household on what? On the 10th of Nisan, according to the Passover feast, the appointed time that was determined by what? The lights in the firmament of the heavens, right? Jesus came riding into Jerusalem and was welcomed and received by the family on the exact day, the 10th of Nisan, and the exact day that was foretold by the angel Gabriel to Daniel almost 500 years beforehand, in Daniel chapter 9, in what's called the 77's prophecy. Fast forwarding to later in the same week, 
Jesus was then crucified at Passover. He came into the house just as they took that lamb all those many years ago in Egypt, that family, that Israeli family, took that lamb into the house on the 10th of Nisan. Jesus came riding into the city of Jerusalem as the Lamb of God, received into the house, and then later in the week, on Passover, he literally becomes the Passover Lamb. Quite literally, and according to the appointed time, the calendar of God, Jesus became the Passover Lamb. And Paul connects the dots for us. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul says this, you'll see it on the screen, for indeed Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He's the Passover lamb. Verse 8. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He is our Passover. He's the lamb that was slain once and for all. His blood is what covers our lives. Just as the blood of the Passover lamb in Egypt was put upon the doorframe of the household. And whoever ate the lamb in that household, when the Passover, when the angel passed over, he saw the blood and he passed over and there was no harm to that family. They were saved that night in Egypt. And it's the same for us. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He shed his blood and his blood is applied to our lives, to our hearts. It's called the work of the atonement. The word atonement in the Bible is a word that means actually to cover. Just as that, that blood of the Passover lamb in Egypt was covering over those doorposts and the lintel of the house, Jesus' blood atones. He covers us. He covers our sins. Amen? He's the lamb that was slain once and for all. His blood is what covers our lives. He atones for our sins. He atones the sin of those who come to him and to receive him. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus did for you. On the night that he was arrested, he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there are some who believe that he prayed on a, very, on a specific rock. Like if you go to Israel, they seem to know the the exact location where everything happened because they built a church over top of it. <laughs> Thank God for the Byzantines. The Byzantines, in that era of history, they went into the Holy Land and they, they found these spots and they literally built churches over these locations. There was a church in the Garden of Gethsemane and it literally built over this place where they believed that Jesus prayed on the night that he was arrested in the Garden and they call this place, it's actually a rock, they call it the Rock of Agony. The Rock of Agony. And Jesus prayed. And he agonized over what was before him. Over what was about to transpire, about what he was about to do for the people of the world about what he was about to do for you, what he was about to do for me. He agonized. And this prayer is recorded for us in Luke chapter 22. 
from that garden, Jesus prays. And high above him, in the night sky, was what? A full moon. Why? Because it was about the 14th of Nisan. Remember, the month would start at the sighting of the new moon. The moon would grow bigger and bigger over those 14 days till you get to the middle of the month, and that's when the full moon is. The full moon is always on the 14th or 15th of the month of a lunar calendar. And so that night, as Jesus prayed, high in the sky, over Jerusalem, a full moon, marking the exact appointed time, that date on the calendar, on God's calendar, where God had said, that's when I'm going to give my life for the people of the world. That's when I'll be the Passover lamb on the 14th of Nisan. Passover is always at a full moon. This is what the text tells us in Luke chapter 22. Beginning at verse 39, as I read it, just keep the moon up there on the screen. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, verse 42, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He, I believe Jesus in his Humanity in his flesh that he took upon himself when he came into the world. Here he is, right at the crux, right at the time, right at that date of destiny. In his humanity, he's agonizing over what lies before him. The cup that he must drink. It's kind of poetic language, scriptural language of taking upon himself the wrath of God, the cup of God's wrath. He said, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Now, there are those that will say when you present the gospel to them, and you say, Jesus is the only way, salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You've got to come to Christ. You've got to follow Christ. He's the one that loves you. He's your God. He's the one that took upon himself flesh and went to a cross for you because he loved you so much, became that Passover lamb that you would go free. And people will say, well, how can that be so? How can there be only one way? How is there only one path to salvation? 
And people will adopt what they, it's, it's, it's been termed a wagon wheel theology. The spokes on a wagon, all leading to the center. They say all, all paths lead to the same place. No, they don't. That's why we, sometimes we need Google Maps to get on the right road in the right direction. And there is a right path. Jesus says, I'm the path. Well, say it in Spanish. Yo soy el camino, right? Yo, I'm the path. I'm the way. There's not many roads. There's not many paths. He didn't say, I'm one of the paths. I'm one of the ways. I'm one of the roads. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he says, Father, in his humanity, he calls out to the Father, and he says, if it's your will, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In the humanity of Christ, he submitted to the will of the Father. Why? Because there was no other way. If there was another way, God, the Father could have said, you know what, Jesus, it's okay. You know, I've got a few thousand other ways over here. Just don't worry about it. I know we set this all thing up, the whole thing from the foundation of the earth. Revelation tells us that he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. It's okay. I know we put it in the stars. I know we put it and we set the appointed times and the feasts and, and, and all this. And we had, uh, you know, millennia of, 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 of our people going through these feasts and, 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 and doing Passover and unleavened bread and all these feasts. And you know what? Just, you know, we got it covered. There's, there's, there's a few. I got a few other things up my sleeve. No. This was the plan of God. The Bible says from the foundation of the world, he's the lamb that was slain. And so Jesus submitting to the will of the Father, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And look at that verse 44. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. He literally sweat drops of blood. And from there, he was arrested. And he went to the cross. Make no mistake, he, they didn't take his life. He gave himself over. The Bible says he could have call, called legions of angels. But when Peter picked up the sword to resist arrest, he said, Peter, Kepha, Peter, Right? Put it down. Put it down. He laid his life. He gave himself over. He laid his life down. He went to the cross, laid his life down for you and me. And when did he do it? He did it at the appointed time. Let there be lights in the heavens, in the firmament of the heavens. And let them be for signs and appointed times. And there was an appointed time that Jesus Christ laid down his life. And it was exactly according to the calendar that was determined by the lights in the heavens that we see recorded here in day four 
of Genesis chapter 1. Amen? Amen. The foundation of everything right here in Genesis. So don't miss the way. Don't miss the truth. Don't miss the life. Receive Christ and let him be your Passover lamb.